Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. President Joe Biden was sworn in a little more than a week ago. This week, we take a look at how some of his first actions impact Arizona. Since taking office, President Biden has signed an array of executive orders. On today's show, we look at some of his policy changes on the environment, border and immigration, and the effects of his election on Arizona state politics. We'll start with climate change and the environment. The Buzz producer, Ariana Brocious, talked with Sandy Barr, director of the Sierra Club's Grand Canyon chapter, about the changes. On his first day in office, President Joe Biden issued several executive orders that have bearing on the environment. One of those was um, a temporary stop to the border wall construction. So that executive order specifically, what's the impact of that on Arizona? Arizona has a long border with, uh, with Mexico, and we also, unfortunately, have experienced a lot of harm from the, the border wall that the Trump administration foisted upon us and on our neighbors to the south. And this executive order basically says that they can't just keep using those dollars they diverted from the military to continue to promote the destruction along the border. And that's really what it is. We talk about a border wall, but it's massive destruction, destruction of sacred areas, destruction of lands that are critical to indigenous people, um, and really just harming communities, uh, those frontline communities along the border. So it is, it's a good start, uh, but we also need to move forward with taking some border wall down. What do you make of some of Biden's other first actions, um, like rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement? That, again, is a great first start. Uh, I think the Trump administration sent a very bad message to the world community when, uh, when he withdrew us from the Paris Climate Accords, basically saying we weren't going to make it a priority and we weren't going to do our part on climate change. And historically, and I mean historically cumulative carbon emissions, we've put more into the atmosphere than any other country. And so we have a huge responsibility and, you know, there's no time to waste. We know we need to act now. So I think uh, sending the message to the rest of the countries that are part of the Paris Climate Accords that we're in and we're committed to doing something is very important. Now that has to be followed up with actions, right? We, <laughs> and uh, I know that there are additional executive orders that President Biden has issued and will be issuing. Uh, he's issued one about science and about uh, climate resiliency and the importance of looking at and and addressing impacts to low-income communities and uh, communities of color that are disproportionately affected by climate change. So yes, we're in with Paris, but now let's get to work on both addressing resiliency because we are feeling the impacts and with making sure that we're investing in ways to reduce emissions uh, with, you know, good jobs associated with them and uh, 
also, you know, really looking at the impacts of communities that um, have suffered the most uh, and will continue to do so uh, without action. I want to ask how you think some of his first moves would impact the climate uh, or environment sector here in Arizona specifically. Well, we will see some changes because one of the things he he's ordered a review of the rules and uh, and policies implemented under the previous administration relative to their impacts and 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 I think that will certainly have an impact here because Arizona does rely quite a lot on federal environmental laws for protection of land, water, people. <laughs> and, you know, because our a lot of our Arizona state laws are not as strong as they need to be. That is something that we are continuing to work on. But we need that you know, that federal safety net or or floor, if you will, from from which to work. And and so I think that will be really important, whether it's, you know, working to reduce carbon emissions, protecting our waters. There's a huge uh, measure that went into effect under the Trump administration that leaves most of Arizona's waters unprotected by the Clean Water Act you know, reversing that would be a big step. So our desert washes continue to have the important protections they deserve. And investing in clean energy, uh, you know, there, there just hasn't been that commitment to address what really is a crisis. I mean, the climate change is a crisis. And, you know, Arizona doesn't have a statewide plan on anything, right, related to climate. So having the federal government pushing, nudging, whatever it takes to get Arizona really moving forward with that, I think, is important as well. What do you think of his cabinet choices so far? And do you expect that those people will be able to bring about some of the changes that the Sierra Club hopes to see? Yes, there there are some really good um, appointments that have been made, and some of some of them confirmed. Probably the one that is really significant uh, for Arizona and really for the country is the appointment of Deb Holland to Secretary of the Department of Interior. The difference between her and Secretary Bernhardt could not be more uh, stark, if you will. There's just a stark difference between the two. Representative Holland is uh, someone who has advocated for protection of Grand Canyon, for example, when she chaired the subcommittee uh, uh, in the House of Representatives and and really has been a strong voice for protection of land and and for Native people. And, you know, I think it's important that um, indeed she is the first uh, Native uh, Secretary of the Department of Interior. Uh, we all should be saying what took so long um, as we celebrate it, but I, I think that she will uh, listen. She will pay attention to the many uh, tribal nations we have in Arizona. She will be someone who is looking at climate change when it comes to 
the public lands, uh, not something we saw under the last administration. So I think that is a really big one. Environmental Protection Agency is a little bit different, but uh, that uh, there's a big change there as well. And I think overall, the president is demonstrating that climate is going climate change and addressing climate change is going to be a big part of what they do throughout the administration. And uh, that is, again, a big movement in the right direction for sure. That was Sandy Barr with the Sierra Club's Grand Canyon chapter, talking with the Buzz producer Ariana Brocious. On Wednesday, President Biden announced a slate of climate-oriented policies, and more environmental changes are likely to come from the White House in the coming weeks and months. The nation spent the first week of the Biden administration focused on the assault on the Capitol. But last week, Arizona state politics garnered some national attention. The state Republican Party held its annual meeting and narrowly re-elected Kelly Ward as the head of the party. Despite the state party's loss of the U.S. Senate race, the presidential race, and poor fundraising numbers. Phoenix-based Republican strategist Barrett Marson says Ward's win was not a mandate from the larger Republican Party. First of all, it was a very close race. Uh, it was, you know, 51 and a half to 48 and a half. So it, she didn't run away with it. I actually think that's a bit of a repudiation of her antics. Um, you know, it, it, it's a sign that she should moderate. She won't. But it, it, if she were looking for signs, that would be one of them, that she squeaked through this race that included three nobodies challenging her. Uh, you know, she won because she does appeal to a sizable contingent of, of the voters in this particular race. And the voters in this race do not in any way represent the voters of Arizona. So, you know, the, the, the people who vote for chairwoman, chairman, uh, you know, in, in these parties are way more to the extreme on both ends, both Democrats and Republicans. So Kelly Ward appeals to them for sure. Um, and they like some of her bombastic comments and how close she is to Trump, you know, those kinds of things. But that will not in any way win elections in Arizona or grow the party or bring in money to the party. The, the party this past weekend also censured three people, all well-known Republicans. Let's start with two of them, Cindy McCain and Jeff Flake. Now, granted, a censure really doesn't have teeth in it, but what does it mean for the party when it's censuring two pretty well-known names, to say the least? You know, not only do censures have no teeth, they have very little meaning. And while it is a statement of some party faithful, I don't think Jeff Flake or Cindy McCain care that much. Uh, I know John McCain didn't care that much, and in fact... Two years after John McCain was censured, he handily won re-election. He defeated Kelly Ward in the primary, and he beat uh, Ann Kirkpatrick in the general. The third person they censured this weekend was Doug Ducey. Now, he's a Trump supporter, campaigned with the president. Why is the party upset with him? He, he's the top statewide leader for them right now. Well, again, the same sort of thing. Uh, first of all, I don't believe the party is upset with him. I don't believe Republican voters are upset with him. But 
a loud and small group of Republicans were upset uh, by his stay-at-home orders and the move to certify, to follow the law. And that's what Doug Ducey did. He followed the law and certified the 2020 election. Um, You know, some Republicans who, uh, you know, are the uh, dead-enders, we'll call them, uh, they will believe in Donald Trump no matter what, and the false claim that there was election fraud in Arizona, there just wasn't any. And uh, I don't know how many lawsuits it's been, but there have been there were numerous lawsuits, and none of them brought in any sort of substantial evidence of fraud or evidence of substantial fraud. Um, so Doug Ducey won re-election. Uh, he beat Ken Bennett over two to one in a primary. Ken Bennett, you know, came from the right. And then he beat David Garcia by 14-odd points or so. So uh, his uh, Doug Ducey's on firm ground with Arizona voters. These three censures got a lot of national attention um, and got, from what I saw on Twitter, a lot of the... Um, more moderate Republicans or maybe rank-and-file Republicans upset? Is there a split in the party um, that is more than just a weekend on Twitter? And does that translate to finances for candidates and for the party as a whole going forward, at least in Arizona? From a fundraising standpoint, hey, uh, you know, this solidifies Doug Ducey as a, a firm conservative. Doug Ducey has lowered taxes, reduced regulation throughout his years as governor. He certified an election that Republicans wish they had won, and they didn't. And he followed through with the certification of that election. This will not impact Doug Ducey's national standing. In fact, he is now the head of RG of the Republican Governors Association, where his main goal is to raise money. I have no doubt that Doug Ducey will be incredibly successful raising money and that nobody will hold a censure by some of you know a small fringe group of party committed people against him. Democrats certainly feel emboldened because uh, Biden won the presidential race here, the first time in a very long time um, that a Democrat has won. Um, his win, what does that mean for Arizona going forward? Um, as we begin to look at uh, the next set of races in two years, and even how the the elected Democrats in the state uh, handle their offices, be it in the legislature or local offices. Arizona is still a center-right state. It's still a conservative state. Um, so both Kirsten Sinema and Mark Kelly will have to watch how they vote. Uh, they cannot vote for some of the more progressive things, probably, uh, that may come out of, say, the House of Representatives. Uh, so they will have to watch themselves. Republicans will be watching them. But whoever runs against Mark Kelly in 2022 and whoever runs for president in uh, you know, 2024, uh, look, this is still a Republican and a conservative state. So you'll have to be mindful of that. You know, we have to look back to 2016 you know, Trump did not break the 50% mark there. Uh, so in his two elections for president, he never crossed 50% in Arizona. He wasn't that popular with, you know, moderate Republicans, with many in the uh, Mormon community, 
you know, you look at how he did with suburban women and things like that. I think a non-Donald Trump candidate is still a favored Republican in Arizona. That was Phoenix-based Republican strategist Barrett Marson. After the break, we'll discuss Biden's initial changes to immigration policy. This week, we're looking at some of President Biden's first actions and how they impact Arizona. Border towns across the Southwest watched with anticipation when President Biden took office. Many expected a dramatic change from former President Trump's hardline policies. Joining us now is Elisa Resnick, AZPM's border and immigration reporter, to talk about the details of what President Biden has done so far. The first major action was actually a massive immigration bill that, that Biden sent to Congress Uh, the morning of his inauguration. So, you know, that's yet to be approved in any way by Congress, but it includes really big changes like a pathway to citizenship for undocumented people, 11 million undocumented people. And and then by the end of the day, um, on on inauguration day, he also signed an executive order that temporarily stopped wall construction uh, across the border. So this was uh, definitely a much anticipated and much hoped for step. Um, you know, leading up to the inauguration, there was a coalition of environmentalists and community activists, indigenous groups uh, who called themselves Not Another Foot. And they'd been pressing Biden for a really long time to make sure that he followed through on a campaign promise to just stop wall construction entirely on day one. So he issued the order to stop wall construction. Has it actually stopped? So contractors were given seven days to stop construction and you know, any continued work was supposed to be to keep these work sites safe and, and, and make sure that they're safely decommissioned. And there were, you know, mixed updates about whether that was happening. I spoke with activists in Arizona who reported seeing construction stop almost immediately in some areas, um, like the Patagonia Mountains south of Tucson. But in other places, it was, you know, a little bit slower and a little bit mixed. There were monitors who reported seeing construction crews still using dynamite in mountain ranges in the Coronado National Wildlife Refuge and water pumping uh, from wells in in southeast Arizona locations like Sasabe. So construction was supposed to come to a total halt seven days after inauguration, and that was this past Wednesday. Customs and Border Protection said it had come to a halt across the border by then. And monitors that I spoke to on Thursday seemed to say the same. You know, they said that sites were were emptying out and sites were appearing to be decommissioning. Now, again, there are a lot more questions, right? Advocates and some lawmakers like Arizona Congressman uh, Raul Grijalva have been advocating to take down some parts of the wall entirely that have been put up in really sensitive environmental areas or cultural places with cultural significance. And, you know, there's still a lot of damage that needs to be assessed and restoration efforts are are not going to be quick. And there's going to be a lot of questions coming up about what exactly that looks like down the road. President Biden also issued new protection for DACA recipients, those who were brought to the U.S. as children. What does that mean for the thousands of Arizonans who have that status? You know, obviously, that's a huge relief. And that was, again, part of the initial um, immigration bill that was sent to Congress. It was a memo that Biden issued his first day in office, and it promised more robust protection for for DACA recipients. And there's 700,000 DACA recipients around the country and some 23,000 in Arizona or so. Part of Biden's promise was an expedited pathway to citizenship for those recipients. 
But it's been a really long road, and then they've been in a big limbo for the last four years. Trump initially uh, went moved to cancel the program in 2017, and that kind of launched this initial series of lawsuits that led up to a Supreme Court decision in the summer of 2020, uh, where, where the high court upheld the, uh, the program and ordered that it be restored to its original uh, form. That did not happen, though. You know, in the months following, there were several memos uh, that were released by the Trump administration that basically continued to hamstring the program and restrict new applicants and, and kind of make core changes to, to applicant applications that had already been submitted. So, you know, it's a big relief, but there's so many questions that are still out there for, for DACA recipients. And I think, you know, they feel like they're breathing a sigh of relief, uh, but it's not quite over yet. I spoke with uh, Reina Montoya. She's a recipient in, in Phoenix who runs uh, an advocacy group called Aliento. Here's what she had to say about it. There's a lot of hope to know that he's putting his plan out there. But at the end of the day, there's also a little bit of cautious. I am a DACA recipient, so it's really it's really difficult to constantly see all these different plans. Are there other policy changes coming out of the White House, out of Washington, that we know about uh, that could affect border and immigration here in Arizona? Yeah, one of the more recent uh, orders from the Biden administration was a 100-day moratorium on almost all deportations. So that basically froze deportations for people who were in final removals from the country uh, and had arrived before November of last year. So basically... That was to sort of reassess enforcement efforts and enforcement uh, priorities under the new administration. And that was supposed to take effect last Friday. But then um, the attorney general of Texas lodged a lawsuit against it. And this week, a federal judge in Texas, in response to that suit, put a 14-day restraining order on on the, the moratorium. Um, and that's kind of where we are now, right after that happened. Arizona's Attorney General Mark Burnovich wrote a letter of his own to DHS, basically saying that the the moratorium was in violation of an agreement called the Sanctuary for Americans First Enactment Agreement, or SAFE. This is an agreement that um, several states, including Arizona and Texas, made with former DHS officials a couple of weeks before Trump left office uh, this month. It's an agreement that gives states more power to to consider federal immigration policy. It has a, a waiting period enacted within it. It is supposed to allow states to submit their thoughts um, on, on policy changes before they actually take effect. So these agreements are very unusual, um, and their legality has been questioned um, several times. Mo Goldman uh, is an immigration attorney I spoke to here in Tucson, and he said he doesn't think the agreements will hold. The DHS officials that were, you know, in, in control of the department at the time were not properly appointed. And so there's a lot of concern about the validity of these agreements. So are there other big things that we expect the Biden administration to do in the coming days and weeks uh, regarding immigration and, and border? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. Um, there were so many changes to immigration policy that happened under the Trump administration. There were almost 50 different changes during uh, the pandemic alone, and those were challenged in court as well. 
One of the big ones that people have been talking a lot about is a pandemic era protocol at the border called Title 42. This is a public health protocol um, that was enacted at the beginning of the pandemic um, last, last spring. And it basically allows Border Patrol agents to rapidly expel almost all migrants that they encounter in, in, the, in the border land. Um, that includes people who present themselves for asylum or people who are just who are caught um, crossing illegally in Arizona and elsewhere. So basically what happens is they are apprehended by Border Patrol and they have their fingerprints uh, taken and their names taken down. And then in a matter of hours, they're dropped off across the border um, through the nearest port of entry. And a lot of times that has been happening in these really remote stretches of, of the desert there were surges of, of expulsions happening in, in Sasabe's port of entry, which is a tiny border crossing that, that enters into Sasabe Sonora, which does not have, um, you know, really much of anything. Basically, people are, dro- are dropped off uh, with very few resources and kind of very little reason to not just try back again. So 400,000 people have been expelled this way um, in, in the months that it's been active. And... Um, Border apprehensions have also gone up during this time. And of course, this is all happening on the backdrop of the fact that in 2020, we saw the second highest number of of remains found in the desert on record for Arizona. Some 220 human remains were found in in the desert borderland here in this state. And that is is a record. This was also um, Arizona's hottest summer on record. But Immigrant rights advocates also argue that these pandemic protocols have really um, made made for a more dangerous situation for migrants um, than than even they faced before, just because they are dropped off into these very remote corners of the border, or sometimes they've been dropped off at very odd hours. So that's absolutely a priority that groups are asking um, the Biden administration to rectify. And the other one that is very big is, is of course, the Remain in Mexico program, which which forces asylum seekers who are awaiting U.S. court dates to wait across the border, sometimes for months or more than a year in some cases. Um, that program at this time has been paused, but it has not been been stopped entirely. That was Elisa Resnick, AZPM's border and immigration reporter. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. And Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.